Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Noah Avery. And through real estate sales, he was able to save close to 50% of his gross income for over half a decade. And that was used to invest in limited partner real estate deals. And since 2019, he's invested in nine limited partnership deals, which has now allowed his passive income to surpass his living expenses at such a young age. And so I'm super excited to get into his story, his background, how he's been able to do all of that, what his current focus is. So Noah, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Eileen. Doing good. Can you share a little bit about your background with us and how you got started with real estate? Yeah. I live in Oregon, sell residential real estate. Been doing that for about five years. And then I've uh, been doing limited partner deals for four years. So I joined the Sumrock Multifamily Group in Dallas, Texas in December 2019. Since then, I've done nine limited partner deals. One's gone full cycle. And then once a couple of them, I think three of them need to stabilize, and then that should cover my living expenses. But yeah. So Noah, how did you even get started with real estate? Like, how did you hear about all of this, and what made investing as a limited partnership so attractive to you in the beginning? Yeah. So in the beginning, like I started the day after my 18th birthday with mutual funds, and that was because of a high school teacher. He was an economics teacher. Went through like budgets brought in this guy who was a millionaire and like presented like his stock market sheet on like a projector to the class. And I I thought that was really cool. And so I just kind of followed what he was doing, which was like mutual funds. Uh, Later, I read like Tony Robbins book, Money Master the Game, found out, like did my own research, found out I was being charged like 3.67%. It's like showmethefees.com. You can type in your ticker symbol. And it was only producing like 6%. And so like, man, there's a better way. Uh, he also talked about index funds and then like Ray Dalio's all weather approach. So I tried that and then eventually I found Grant Cardone. And so I went through all his modules, his YouTube videos on real estate, many of them multiple times. So I was like, this is what I want to do. It just appealed to me so much. I love the big deals. I love the cash flow. Uh, Ray Dalio has a quote. It's like, if you find an investment that's 50% better, then switch over. And so I felt like the real estate investing was 50% better than the index funds I was doing. And so I took everything I had, which was starting out when I first got into it, I think I had like $36,000. But, you know, through saving that amount of income over the course of five years, it grew into something much bigger. So when you heard in your class, when your teacher had brought in the guest speaker and he started going over his mutual funds oftentimes especially at a young age like that a lot of this information tends to not really sink in at that time but you took it and you decided to do something with it what was it about it that really stuck to you that made the light bulb go off i think i've always liked money but maybe more so like numbers and like keeping track of things so like for instance i read uh, robert green's book at least the beginning of his like daily laws book and he talks about finding like your gift your true like gifts and what you are 
really interested yourself, not what other people like say is cool for you to be interested in. And like looking back, he has you go through exercises. You look at like your childhood, like where were you almost like scolded in things? And I remember one time when my dad was building houses and he said he'd give me amount of money for each house that he sold. And so I'm keeping track of all this stuff, keeping track of it. And then I remember there's a scooter and then he bought me this scooter. And then I was like, okay, now you only owe me this much. And I didn't think anything of that. But my mom said, don't ever say something like that. But I was like, I'm just keeping track. But other things like this guy, Scotty, he just passed away like last year, but he gave me a silver dollar when I was about six years old. And I still have that silver dollar today. So, I mean, I like money. I like the concept of money and numbers. And so I guess that's maybe some appeal to it. And so when you decided to move from mutual funds into real estate, was syndications the first place that you decided to look into? Or was there another asset class within real estate that you wanted to look in first before you transitioned over? It was always the bigger syndication deals. And that influence came from Grant Cardone. Economy of scale. I'd learn this later, but you know, like uh, on-site management is a huge advantage for 80 plus unit deals. But yeah, I jumped right into the syndications. So the first deal that you did was within multifamily syndications, and you took your mutual funds, the investments that you put into mutual funds, and you converted that into a limited partnership stake into a syndication. Yes. First two were with Grant Cardone. Next one was with Kenny Wolf. And then it continued on with some other partners as well. So especially in the very beginning, early on, when you got started, what were some of the things that you were looking for or as you were vetting the different sponsors and opportunities out there that you were looking for in order to make that decision to invest? Not to lose money. So like the downside protection uh, was really, it was like I was getting started into it and it's like, okay, now I have to do whatever it takes because I'm new to find out how this deal is not going to work and then kind of stress test that. So my method of doing that was taking your break-even point and then comparing that to like a 2008 recession situation. Is there going to be a margin of safety even in that environment? If yes, then go forward with the deal. So then after you invested in those first couple of deals, was it continuously just saving up from your active income, the 50%, and then putting that towards the savings in order to invest in the next deal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my system is I save 50%. And then because I'm a realtor and self-employed, I don't have to pay taxes for like a year and a half if I file an extension. So what that means is that I can save like 20% instead of you know 40% of my income per year. And that way I can live on 30%. And in terms of markets, are there specific markets that you are looking for? Or is it more the sponsors themselves before the markets and the deal and opportunities? I typically look at like primary markets. And so Dallas, Fort Worth, Dallas, probably more is the main market. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, 
and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And for you, after you look at the markets, what are some of the metrics that you're evaluating in terms of what makes a good market for you? Yeah, job growth, population growth. Also, if the market's been good for a very long time, it's like Dallas-Fort Worth, that's not going anywhere. So the stability aspect of that as well. And the disability of it. So then you also mentioned that you joined the mentorship program as well. Was that when you decided to get in more of the active side of real estate investing? Or at what point did you decide that a mentorship program was something that you wanted to invest in as well? Yeah. So I got started with the Sumrock Group in yeah 2019. And how that came to be was on the old Capital Real Estate Investing podcast, there's a bunch of interviews on there. And so I was just like diving into learning about apartments and you can follow up with those people because they have their phone numbers, their contact information, and you get on calls with them. And a lot of those people were in the Sumrock group. And so initially I called up the Sumrock group just to kind of see deals because I'm trying to like look at deals so I know and get an understanding of them. And then I found out that Brad himself was going to a Tony Robbins event that I was going to in West Palm Beach, Florida. And so I, what I did was I just signed up for Brad's program over the phone right there, met Brad at in Florida, and then went directly over to his Christmas bus tour in Dallas. How about for today in the market that we're in right now, has your criteria or what you're looking for as an investor changed at all with the current environment that we're in? 100%. Yeah. Almost all the deals that are trading, at least in Texas, are loan assumptions just because the new debt doesn't really work unless you're putting like 50 plus percent down. So for instance, last month I invested in one. It was an FHA loan assumption, 38 years left on the term, 3.49% fixed debt. And are you still focusing on the same markets or are you looking outside of different markets too? Mainly Texas, but if the sponsor is like experienced in another market, for instance, like Rogers, Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, one of the sponsors grew up in that area. Also, they went to college in that area. I invested in another one that went full cycle, that lead magnet there. It's based off of that deal. That was in Simpsonville, South Carolina. And so Greenville is like the major city. And then Simpsonville, it's like right next to it. So what does your process look like? If you can share with us a little bit about once you find the sponsor that you are looking to invest with, and then you get a deal that comes into your inbox, what are the steps that you follow afterwards to evaluate whether or not this is something that meets your criteria? I mean, there's a lot of good deals out there when you get on sponsorship investor lists because they've already vetted so many deals to find that one. And so that is an advantage of limited partner deals is that if you have like 10 deals to choose from, they've already chosen from 100 deals each. And so that's like you choosing from 1,000 deals. And also you have to be well capitalized. And so it's like, that's not always the case and you have to be ready yourself. Yeah, just look at the downside protection. If it's there and it's in a good market and you like the sponsor, go for it. Are there any specific like metrics that you also look for, like specifically, you know, maybe like the rent increases or like does the cap rates also impact your decision as well? Yeah. So it depends market to market. So if you just underwrite, however you're going to do it, then 
cap rates, rent projections, if you just underwrite it, it's not going to be the, the biggest thing. What I find is that almost every single deal is projected to be double your money in five years. And so the projections aren't my biggest factor as far as looking for a deal. When you first started off and you were looking at, you know, you found real estate to be a great place to invest and to build up your capital and your wealth. When you're looking at it, did you make a plan or did you look at what are the steps that I need to take or how many deals would I need to invest in in order to get to that point where my passive income now surpasses my living expenses? Yeah. So always calculating that. So if you do just like how much your living expenses are divided by 0.06. You know, and that's how much money you have to invest, say a 6%, you know, cash flow. And then the 6%, is that just your rule of thumb? Yeah. And so for now, what is your next focus, Noah? Being a co-sponsor and so focus on investor relations and then capital raising. That's the role I want to hone in on. And what are the things that you're doing now to transition you from being the passive investor into getting on more of the sponsorship side and the active space? Yeah. So 188 scheduled calls in about 35 days, 35 people didn't answer the calls and then five were like non-investors. And so just getting on the phone, 10 plus calls a day on weekdays, at least just doing direct reach out mainly. That's probably the most effective one that I've done. So 188 calls in the next 30 days. How did you build up that list to get to that level? Yeah. Just direct reach outs, you know, 60 a day. Oh, so, and then are you reaching out through social media, direct emails? Yeah, just find them on the Facebook groups. And so you can find like multifamily related Facebook groups, join them, and then you get a list of all the people. I like to do like mutual friends or people you have in common. That way, when they see your message, they see like, oh, this person knows them, or you have like 40, 100 mutual friends. So how does those... More credibility, better response rate. So once they actually respond and you jump on the call for them, how does your typical structure go within these calls? Yeah, I do 15 minute calls. And so what I find is that when you do a ton of calls, a lot of people later, they don't really remember you or you don't remember them. That's not always the case, but it's just a lot of people. And so you find it's almost like the beginning of a relationship. You take notes on that person, you follow up with them, you add them on social media. And that call is just the start. And so once you start, then you can form a relationship with that other person. They can get in a phone call, see what their background is, et cetera. But it's just the start of that relationship. How are you managing these relationships? Social media, starting with email campaigns. I have little products like this, 18 things I learned from a full cycle real estate apartment deal. Send them, try to add value. As you're going through understanding what it takes to be a limited partner and understanding the ins and outs of the deals, how did you decide that you wanted to do more of the capital raising side of things as well? And how did you make that transition and the decision to go on the more active side of things now? So, I mean, the roles people want are raising capital. Investor relations is a way for me to just kind of have a role in the management of the asset. So it's kind of like, it is a role, not just a capital raiser. As far as like acquisitions, somebody who has a track record is probably going to have a much better advantage over me who doesn't have a track record doing large general partner deals. And so they're probably be better at finding off-market deals or getting like the first glimpse at those deals. And so that's why I chose that investor relations and uh, capital raising. As far as general partner, it's like, well, I've done nine total limited partner deals. And so it's kind of like, I want to transition into the next 
next level, really. How are you finding potential partners or other co-GP sponsors to partner up with? And how does that conversation come about? So I wouldn't be able to give you like the best answer in that, but meeting people through calls or uh, groups seems to be the best way. And I can't give you that because I haven't fully done it yet. Got it. And so Noah, for you, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Give you a mission. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Being a general partner isn't as intimidating as I made it out to be. How did you get over that fear then? Knowledge. And then also working to a point where you know all the ins and outs of the business is what worked for me. So studying kind of just like chipped away at that. And then what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Uh, Sticking with it. And the last question for you, Noah, is what is a tool or resource that you've utilized that really has helped you within your real estate investing business? Podcasts, interviews, and then the phone. (laughs) Awesome. And Noah, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, Linktree has all my contact information. Let's see. You can schedule a call there. All my social media is on there. This is like a lead magnet product that I've got that you can do the QR code. Yeah. Awesome. Noah, thank you so much for all of your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.